0: Certainly part of our worship is giving praise to God, even with our lips and singing together. Inside your bulletin for the call to worship, we have Psalm 147, the first eight verses. We will sing this to the tune of Lead On, O King Eternal. It is a reminder to us of the importance of praising God. One has said, there is nothing better, nothing more pleasant or more becoming than to praising God. Give praise to God. Let us stand together and call one another to worship with the singing of the song. number 35
1: bow in prayer. Our Father in heaven, you are indeed a great God and worthy of our praise. We pray that we would be faithful in glorifying you as we have just sung. We pray, Father, that it would, our, would be our desire to put away every vice and every sin. Pray, Father, that we might be faithful in serving you and in worshiping you. Pray now that as we gather together to worship you publicly, that you would send your spirit, that you would enable us, Lord, to honor you aright. Pray that we would be able to put away the distractions of this world. Pray, Father, that we would turn to you. Pray that uh, through our singing, through the opening of your word, Through hearing it read and preached, through our prayers, Lord, that your name would be honored and glorified in this place today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.
0: Well, we ought to be a people that give praise to God because for many of us, he has saved us from our sins. And we're now reconciled to God that reality of His salvation that ought to be a means of causing us to praise Him as He's due. Take the Trinity hymn book with me now and turn to 370. 370 in the Trinity hymn book. We have heard the joyful sound, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. 370.
1: Consecutive reading uh, this morning, we find ourselves in the book of Matthew, verse or chapter 26. If you'd be turning there, please. We won't be reading all the verses. Uh, we'll be reading the first 35 verses today. Verse one starts out with, "Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished all of these sayings that he had said to his disciples." Uh, All of these sayings, um, reviewing uh, what we have just heard uh, in the previous chapters as uh, Christ was speaking of his purpose in coming and how he would indeed save as we just sung, uh, laying down his life for his people. Uh, Chapter 26, um, we get to look in in Christ's last conversations uh, really with his disciples as he's ending uh, really his public ministry and now uh, we get to look in on Matthew's account of his conversations and the events uh, leading up to his crucifixion. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings that his disciples that he said to his disciples, you know that after two days is the Passover and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders of the people assembled at the palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas and plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. And when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him having an alabaster flask, of very costly fragrant oil, and she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. But when his disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not have always. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my head, she did it for my burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as memorial to her. Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him thirty pieces of silver. So from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. Now on the first day of the feast of the unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying to him, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When evening had come, he sat down with the twelve. Now as they were eating, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, One of you will betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful, and each of them began to say to him, Lord, is it I? He answered and said, He who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, who was betraying him, and answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? He said to him, You have said it. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remissions of sin. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, "Even, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. This morning as we seek our God again
0: together in prayer, we especially want to remember the Calvary Baptist Church in Exeter, New Hampshire with Pastor Scott Meadows. Let us seek our God together in prayer. Our Father in heaven, as we approach you this morning, we do so with hearts filled with gratitude. As we were reminded in the reading of your word this morning of your willingness to be handed over to evil men in order that you might be crucified and give your life a ransom for many. Father, we are undeserving. Father, we thank You for the willingness of Your Savior to take Your full wrath upon Himself so that we might be redeemed, so that we might know the forgiveness of sin and what it means to be reconciled to You, so that now we even have the privilege of being able to come boldly before Your throne of grace. And Father, we would come this morning and ask that You will bless the preaching of your word around Lenawee County and around the state of Michigan and even around the world. Father, be with those men who open the word of God, give them boldness, give them clarity, how we would ask that you would give them a greater fear of you than they have of any man. And may they proclaim the whole counsel of God In the end, may You, by the work of Your Spirit and through Your Word preached, even bring many to be added to the Kingdom of God through faith and repentance. Do that work which only You can do. Father, we would pray especially this morning for Your work there in New Hampshire. We pray, Father, that You would bless the Calvary Baptist Church. We ask that You would draw near to them. We know from recent reports that they have gone through some trials in recent months. And Father, how we pray that in the midst of going through them, they will get through them and still give praise to Your name. Father, we thank You that in the midst of all this, You have been pleased to bring others in. And we would ask that You would add to their number such as are being saved. Father, we pray that You'll use them with every opportunity to proclaim the Gospel, to see the Gospel go forth in their community. Father, use them to that end. Be with Pastor Meadows. Help him to be found as a faithful pastor to Your people. Father, we would be mindful again this morning of those who You have laid aside and We would pray that You would watch over them. We would ask that You would be pleased to raise them up at this time, but in the midst of going through the various trials they're traveling through now, that, Father, You would use it in their lives to all the more, cause them to recognize their dependence upon You and trust in You with all their hearts. Father, we pray for our nation We are concerned about our nation as we hear so much about shortages of this and of that. Our concern is a shortage of a fear of God. Our concern is a shortage of integrity. Our concern is a desire to consider others more important than ourselves. Father, how we pray that You would bring about an awakening in our land. We would plead with You not to leave us alone, though that is what we deserve. That You would have mercy upon us. You would raise up leaders who would lead with integrity. Men and women who fear God. Men and women who desire to do others good even above their own selves so, Father, have pity upon us, we pray. But, Father, we would pray even now for this local assembly, that as we have gathered in this place, that you will come by the work of your Spirit and do us good. You you know the needs of this congregation. You know the needs of every individual meeting in this place. There are some who do not know you. And how we pray that today would be a day of awakening. A day in which they turn from their sins and flee to Jesus Christ. There may be some among us who know that they're living in rebellion. Though they profess to know You, there's hidden sin. And Father, how we pray that You would be working, that they would be quick to confess and forsake it. Father, we pray for Your people who are seeking to Live that life which is pleasing in your sight in a world that stands in opposition to that. Now we pray that this morning you might encourage them to press on and not give up, to live as lights in the midst of darkness, to let men see our good works, that they might glorify our Father who is in heaven. So Father, draw near to us, we pray, as we commit our time to you. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. And now before we come to open the Word of God, take your Trinity hymn books once again, turning to 580, When peace like a river attendeth my way, it is well with my soul. 580. Let's stand together as we sing. seated. Deuteronomy chapter 12. Deuteronomy chapter 12. Let me read one verse in your hearing and that's verse 28. Deuteronomy 12 and verse 28. Be careful to listen to all these words which I command you, so that it may be well with you and your sons after you. Forever for you will be doing what is good and right in the sight of the Lord your God. This morning we continue looking at this 12th chapter of the book of Deuteronomy. Now last week we considered the first 12-13 verses together. And in our consideration we looked at five biblical principles regarding the worship of God. When it comes to the worship of God, the second commandment tells us this. You shall not make for yourselves an idol in the likeness of what is in the heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship or serve them. Moses wanted the children of Israel who were about to enter into the promised land. That once they were in the land, that they would approach and worship God as he tells them. The worship of God was not something that he was indifferent to. And therefore, Moses has a concern that once they enter into the land, once they settle in that land, That they worship God as He directs. He does not want them to use their own imagination or come up with various devices of what worship should look like. But how Yahweh is to be worshipped is determined by Him. That's the emphasis of this chapter. Don't don't go after other gods. Don't worship and serve them. Don't make different devices and idols. Worship the one true and the living God and worship that God as you have been directed. We need to get rid of any notion which says that as long as God's name is mentioned, What we do in corporate worship really makes no difference. That's a false idea. That's the idea of many. As long as we call ourselves a church, and as long as God's name is mentioned along the way, what we do when we gather together corporately really doesn't matter this morning we come to look together at the concluding part of this chapter and i would make this confession to you this morning this is a portion of scripture that in all likelihood you would never hear me preach except because we preach expositorily because we go through a book and we believe that all scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And sometimes we come across the text and we might think, really? All Scripture is given for profit? And in many ways, sitting at my desk this week, I was asking myself that question. How does Reformed Baptist Church of lenaway find relevance with regard to this text and the sacrificing of animals. As far as I know, no one brought an ox or a goat or a lamb to slaughter this morning. And that being the case, what relevance is there when we speak about such things with regard to the old covenant? And yet, I I pray that by God's help, we, we will find some things that are relevant for us even as the people of God were taught about worship under the Old Covenant. And so there are two things I want you to notice with me. First of all, the primary message of our passage, the primary message of our passage And then secondly, we'll consider together just the general instructions that are given. So two things, the the primary message and general instruction. The primary message from, from this passage of Scripture. I believe that what Moses is seeking to get across to the people is that once They cross the Jordan, and they enter into that promised land a very simple lesson. Do everything that God has commanded you. Do everything that God has commanded. When God speaks, that's the final word it's not open for discussion any of us who have been parents might recall a time when we were speaking to our children you fathers this is Father's Day so I'll bring fathers into this you fathers when you're speaking to your children you tell them this is what I want you to do and sometimes when they look at you and say why, or I don't want to do that, we might reply to them, this isn't open for discussion. I'm the final authority, and you will do this. Well, God, when He speaks, is the final authority. When when God has something to say, we need to give attention. And that's always true in the general sense. When God's word is clear, it's not open for debate. When God's word is is opened up to us, it's not a matter of. As I heard one man say, it, when 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 we come to God's word, it's not like buying a car. We we go in to buy a car. What do we do? You you sit down, and the guy says, "Well, this is how much I want for that car," and you say, "Well." This is how much I'm willing to pay. Well, if you're willing to pay that much, then there are some options here that we're going to take away. You know, I, with that price you've given to me, no electric windows. You're going to go back to rolling down the windows. All right? Well, you might say, that's an option I could live with. I don't know who can live with that anymore now that we've pushed buttons so long. But... It might okay. I, I can roll down the window. I remember those days of rolling down the windows. Well, it means that sunroof's gone. Well, all right, I'll do away with the sunroof. Right. We 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 have various options. Do you want this or do you want that or can I take this away? When when it, when we come to the Word of God, He's the ultimate authority. And what he has to say is final. I I trust that as we've gone through the book of Deuteronomy, that reality has come before us over and over again. Let me give you a couple examples. In Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 40, we read these words, So you shall keep His statutes, His commandments, which I am giving you today, That it may go well with you and with your children after you. You shall not add chapter four of Deuteronomy verse two You shall not add to the word which I am commanding you, nor take away from it, that you may keep the commandment commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. Obey God. That that it may be well with you. Don't add to the Word. Don't take away from the Word. When God speaks, be obedient. A universal obedience to God's Word. Some of the things that, that God has said here might be inconvenient. Some of the things that God says here, we might think this would be a better idea. But the issue is when God speaks... We listen and we obey. When God tells us this is how you're to live, this is how you're to live. And so every one of us should be able to come to the Word of God and set our lives before that Word and ask the question, is my life living up to what the Bible says my life should be? Am I obedient in every area of my life to God Almighty God oftentimes perhaps we come to the Word of God with this mentality I can be an exception or or my situation is different therefore I can do this that should never be the attitude of a true believer our attitude should be teach us O Lord and we will do it and we will do it and that's what Moses is seeking to get across to these folks again we read verse 28 be careful to listen to all these words which I'm commanding you so that it may be well with you verse 32 whatever I command you you shall be careful to do you shall not add Or take away from it. Did you ever wonder as we've read through the book of Deuteronomy. Why Moses keeps repeating this. It's because Moses wants these people to be different than the generation before them. He wants them to be a people who submit to God's word. And will be obedient to it. Now, this central message of being obedient to the commands of God in a very specific way in our passage is related to worship and how we approach God and how we serve Him. How were they to approach God corporately? well, here's God's Word to them and what they are to do. It's His final Word. As you enter into the new land, as you settle in that place, this is how God is to be worshipped. And Moses is trying to get across God would be offended at so-called worship that does not take place as He's directed. God is not concerned when it comes to His worship whether or not your needs are met. God's chief concern is, will you worship Me as I direct you to worship Me? Will you approach Me as I instruct you? The Word of God is filled with examples of that reality. Remember there in Leviticus chapter 10? In Leviticus chapter 10 we meet these two men, Nadab and Abihu. And we read these words. Nabad and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer. And they put fire therein. And put incense thereon and offered strange fire before the Lord. These two men, Abihu, Abihu and Nadab, come and they bring so-called offerings to God. But it was filled with strange fire. Do you want to know what strange fire is? Well, keep reading. It says, they offered strange fire before the Lord, which He commanded them not. He never told them to do this. One might imagine, if if you put the best construction on things, these two guys coming together and saying, hey, what, what can we offer to God today? Don't you think it would be a great idea if we offered Him this fire? Wouldn't that be... oh?" Would that be nice? It would get people's attention. They would maybe listen better. That's offering this as fire. And they come with strange fire. Perhaps thinking, oh, this is a good thing we're doing. But it was fire that God did not command. And here's what we read. And there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them. Does it really matter what we bring before God? If we could, we could ask these two fellows, do you think it matters to God what you bring before Him? If they could speak from the dead, I would imagine they would say, it matters a great deal. For the Bible says they died before the Lord. They died before the Lord. Deuteronomy four, verses twenty three and twenty four, take heed to yourselves, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and you make and and make you a graven image, or the likeness of anything which the Lord thy God has forbidden thee. For the God for the God thy God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God. When you go and offer strange things to God that He's not commanded or directed you to do, you're an idolatrist. You're you're bringing to God something He's never required, no matter how you may feel about it. And God says, listen, I am a jealous God. And my jealousy is like a consuming fire. Can you imagine... Can you imagine a husband who so loves his wife and cares for her? You you watch the way he treats her. How he cherishes her. He provides for her. He, he, in, in specific ways, cares for her. And you find out that this wife is going after other men. How grievous that is. You have a husband who loves and cherishes and cares for you, and yet you're going after other men? And his jealousy is is risen up. So it is when we bring strange things to God that He's not dictated. He says, I am a jealous God. I care for you. I love you. I want to do you good. I wanted to be well with you. Now, now worship me as I dictate. And we think, well, I think I got a better idea. And then we stand back, amazed that God, his his righteous jealousy, raises up in rage towards those who would do such thing. Exodus thirty-four and verse fourteen: For you shall worship no other gods, for the Lord. For the Lord, whose name is jealousy, is a jealous God. and What He commanded is all that matters when it comes to His worship. Again, look at verse 32. Whatever I command you, you shall be careful to do, for you shall not add or take away from it. As we said last week, We are to do nothing more or nothing less or nothing else in worship but that which Yahweh commands. We're to do nothing more, nothing less, nothing else in worship than what Yahweh commands. So here is the primary message of this passage. Be obedient to the commands of God. But that leads me secondly to have you notice with me some general instructions, general instructions. And what you have here in our text is Moses speaking about the eating of meat, the eating of meat, and about the sacrifice of meat in the tabernacle or later on in the temple. And in this chapter, Moses gives to those who are entering in to the promised land these instructions concerning the slaughtering of meat, what meat you can eat in your homes, what meat needs to be taken to the tabernacle, and instruction with regard to not drinking the blood or not eating the blood. It's an interesting thing, and I didn't have time to really open it up, but it's interesting that they're told don't eat the blood because the blood is the life. And yet in the New Covenant, we're commanded to drink, to drink that blood. John chapter 6, you've got to eat His flesh and drink His blood because in it is life. And Jesus Christ is that life, and it's through His blood that we can know forgiveness of sin. It's just something I began to think about. I haven't worked it all out yet. But it's just interesting to note that here they're told not to eat the blood. They're, they're told to take care of the Levites. The Levites aren't really going to give in their portion of the land. And you're to provide for them. They labor in the tabernacle, in the temple. So make sure they're provided for in all this. But as you listen to these instructions concerning the meat and eating and slaughtering and not drinking and providing for the Levites, as you think of these things, and as I've studied this this week, and I thought about what relevance that has for you and me because we no longer bring sacrifices. I thought about in these instructions we are reminded about the character and the nature of God Himself, which then would lead us to worship Him aright. The character and the nature of God Himself. Pastor MacArthur writes these words. And it's on the back of your bulletin. But I don't know if anybody would get to the back of their bulletin or not, so I'll tell you a snippet of what he said. The worship of God is all that we are reacting to all that He is. What a wonderful definition of worship. The worship of God is all that we are reacting to all that He is. And even as... The people of God are instructed with regard to sacrifice and the slaughter of meat. We see something of who God is in unusual ways throughout these instructions that I trust would cause us to recognize all the more about who this God is that we gather even now without the animal sacrifices to worship. That's my trust. That's my trust. And so I would have you notice three things that I would draw out of this passage concerning who God is. The first thing I want you to notice is this. The God that we worship, He is a generous God. He's a generous God. Look at the text. Verse 15. However, You may slaughter and eat meat within any of your gates, whatever you desire, according to the blessings of the Lord your God, which He has given you, the unclean and the clean may eat of it, as the gazelle and the deer. Only you shall not eat the blood, you are to pour it out on the ground like water." And then he sort of repeats that. When you lead further on in the passage, he's basically said here at the beginning, when you settle in that land, you can eat all the meat you want. And then he says, as you expand, God expected them to expand and grow in that land. And he says, as you expand, and then he gives them more directions, but basically repeats the same thing. Look at verse 20. And when the Lord your God extends your borders as He has promised you, and you say, I will eat meat because you desire to eat meat, then you may eat meat whatever you desire. If, you pl- if the place which the Lord your God chooses to put His name is too far from you, then you may slaughter for your herd and your flocks which the Lord has given to you, as I have commanded you, and you may eat within your gates whatever you desire, just like the gazelle and the deer has eaten, so you may eat it. The unclean and the clean alike may eat of it. Only be sure not to eat the blood for the blood is life and you shall not eat the life which is the flesh. You shall not eat it, you shall not pour it, you shall pour it out on the ground like water. You shall not eat it so that it may be well with you and your sons after you for you will be doing what is right in the sight of the Lord. You see as they wandered through the wilderness, they didn't eat a lot of meat. And and the animals that were brought to the tabernacle as they traveled what was offered to God. And they would slaughter that animal and they would make this offering, the burnt offering, the blood was placed on the altar and it was all offered to God. And now Moses tells them, when, when you now come into this promised land and you begin to set up settlements. Some of those settlements are going to be too far away to come into the tabernacle every time you get ready to slaughter one of the the cows or the lamb or whatever. And so even within your gates, you're now allowed to slaughter the animals. Just, Just like you would a gazelle or a deer. You're allowed to slaughter the ox, the goat, the lamb... And you're allowed to consume it. And I want you to recognize that as you do so, it is by My hands that you have this. This is My gift to you. Note The wording that is used. Which the Lord your God has given you. God gives us good things to enjoy. God is a generous God. He's a generous God. And he reminds them or tells them that now you can eat of these things. It is by the generosity, or we might say, and Mister Dr. Packer in his book, Knowing God, puts the goodness of God in the, and the generosity of God together. God is a very good and generous God. And He provides for you good things. He will care for you. That's to be their vision as they enter into the promised land. that, That our God is a generous and good God. You know, one of the ways that Satan continues to slander Almighty God is to lead his people to question God's goodness and generosity. It's happened from the very beginning, right? Remember Adam and Eve? Did God really say to you, you cannot eat from every tree of the garden? He began to have them question the goodness and the generosity of God, which then led them to sin. And and that's the way Satan often works. Oftentimes, even as the people of God, we can begin to look upon God as some grumpy old man who wants to take the joy out of your life by burdening you with all kinds of regulations and instructions. We can begin to think of God in that way. And then we come together to worship and we wonder why our worship is a dull thing. But when we get a grasp of how much God cares for us and how much He wants us to enjoy all that we have in Him. I mean, how many times last week did He talk about coming with joy to Almighty God? And as as Moses instructs these people, go ahead, slaughter and eat meat within your gates, whatever you desire. Oh man, that would be a wonderful slogan for Texas Roadhouse, right? Can you see Texas Roadhouse now? Deuteronomy. Eat all the meat you desire. But I believe it demonstrates to us how much... God loves us and how abundantly generous He is to us in all that He provides for us. And so when we gather together and and, and we have in mind how generous our God is, our worship becomes alive. We worship a good God. He says here in His Word, do these things. Why? Why? That it may be well with you. I want you to live the life you ought to live well. And you will live a good life if you do what is right in the sight of God. And so with these instructions, I was just reminded of of the generosity of God. But the second thing I'd have you note with me as we go through this passage is this. He is an approachable God. He's an approachable God. Look, starting in verse 17, He gives them some instructions. You are not allowed to eat within your gates the tithe of your grain and the new wine or the oil or the firstborn of your herd or your flock, or any of votive offerings which you vow, or your free will offerings or your contribution or the contribution of your hand. But you shall eat them before the Lord your God and play in the place which the Lord your God will choose you and your sons and your daughters, your male and female servants, the Levites who are within your gates, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God in all your undertaking. Be careful that you do not forsake the Levites as long as you live in the land. And then down to verse 26, again it's sort of a repeat. Only your holy things which you may have and your votive offerings You shall take and go to the place which the Lord chooses, and you shall offer the burnt offerings, the flesh and the blood, on the altar of the Lord your God. The blood for your sacrifices shall be poured out on the altar of the Lord your God, and you shall eat the flesh. So he gives them instruction. And basically what he says is, As you come into the land... And as you settle in the land, there's going to be a place that God chooses where you're to come. We'll, we'll, it's the tabernacle. It will become the temple. And when you come, you're to set aside these holy things, the, these animal sacrifices. And you're to come and, and you're to slaughter them. there on the altar and, and their blood. And, and the priest will, will bring in the offering before God. And, and, and it's the only way in which you can approach God is the sacrifice of that which is innocent for that which is guilty. But you're to follow my instructions with regard to how you do that. And so you're to bring these things in, these offerings, the peace offering, the burnt offering which which represents uh, the the completed offering, the the fully consumed offering. All, All these things pointing to who? Pointing to Jesus Christ. All these things pointing to his final work, that that great high priest who will give his life a, a ransom for many. Jesus Christ, who is the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Jesus Christ who became sin for us, that one who knew no sin. All these things point to him. But it was a reminder that that men needed a sacrifice that man stand guilty before God and a sacrifice was necessary, the shedding of blood was necessary in order that man might approach God. God desires His people to approach Him. And it's a reminder to us that God is the the approachable God. God. We can have a relationship with Him. We we can go to Him. A substitute has been made for our guilt. And that's why they engaged in all these exercises, in these sacrifices, in these offerings. They needed a substitute. It had to be done over and over and over and over again. But with that sacrifice, sins could be forgiven. And God could be approached. And so it is with our Savior. As we gather together in this place, the glorious thing about this meeting, the glorious thing about us coming together is what? God is in the midst of them. If, if we gather in this place and God isn't here, we're just a social club. But God says, when, when my people meet together in a special way, I'm with them. God is among us. I pray that the Spirit of God is, is operative in this place. What an amazing thing that that the God who created the world, the God who rules over the world wants to meet with us and says, I'll be with you. And we can approach Him. We look Wednesday night at, at that passage there in Hebrews where where we're told that we can come confidently before the throne of God because of a sacrifice that was made on our behalf on the cross. I can have an audience with God. With God. Does that amaze you? We can talk to God. And so even with these instructions about sacrifices and offerings, the killing of animals and the slaughtering of animals, it's a reminder that we can approach God and have an audience with Him. And therefore, as as we gather for worship, I mean, at the end of the day, It's nice to see you all. I look out, and there are some people that aren't here. I miss them. I wish I could see them. But at the end of the day, if I came here just to see you, I could have used a couple extra hours of sleep this morning. As nice as it is to see you. And I had a three-year-old in my bed. It's been a long time since I'd had a three-year-old in my bed. I had a three-year-old in my bed last night. But what got me up this morning and what got me here this morning was God. God in this place. And meeting with Him. And being able to sing with you to God. And be able to address God with you. And to hear God with you. What a wonderful thing. When we gather together, as as we understand we're meeting with God, that ought to breathe life into us. So that our worship is not dull, but a delight as we worship God. Well, one final thing. We see that God is a generous God. We see God as an approachable God. But the third thing, and and we'll begin to open this up in more detail next week when we go on to chapter 13, is this. God is an exclusive God. God. He's an exclusive God. Notice what he says starting in verse 29. When the Lord your God cuts off before you the nations which you're going to dispose, and you dispose them and do dwell in their land. All right, so here's the setting. You got it? You're going to go in the land, you're going to settle in the land. This is going to be a wonderful land. He's describing you as at a place where things will be well with you. You'll have joy. You'll have abundance. You're going to have wells that you didn't dig. You're going to have houses you didn't build. You're going to eat and be satisfied. When you get in that land, and I don't know about you, but by this time I'm like, can we go? Are you about done, Moses? Let's go. So that when you when you get to that land and you dispose of the nations there, Then it's just warning, beware that you are not ensnared to follow them after they are destroyed before you, and that you do not inquire after their gods, saying, How do these nations serve their gods that I also may do likewise? Here's the temptation. You're going to go into that land. And when you go to settle that land and, and, and you have to clear out the land and, and you're going to walk in someplace and there's going to be this wonderful, beautiful, shining statue or idol of something that is supposedly their God. And you're going to look at that and you're going to say, that is really nice. Now, that that's a God I could get behind. You know, I've never seen my God. Look at that beautiful... Beware because it's going to seek to entice you, to allure you. That word allure means to entrap. It's going to try to draw you in. And as you go to take out the city, you may come across certain things that they do in, in their rituals and in their ceremonies. And you may, oh man, I I like, I like the music they're listening to. I like that better than the old psalms. Maybe you ought to listen to, and and you're going to be enticed. You're going to be drawn to that. Don't let that. Beware. Be on the guard. He's warning them. He knows them. He's he's dealt with their forefathers for years. He he understands. Don't let that happen. Verse thirty one. You shall not behave thus towards the Lord your God, for every abominable act which the Lord hates, they have done for their gods. That's quite a statement. Those things that you're going to be enticed to follow, listen to the language. Those are the things. God hates. He's bringing you into this land. You're to an enjoy this land. You will have plenty. You'll eat and be satisfied. Look at all that God's given to you. How dare you go after that which God hates? It's an abomination to Him. And your behavior is abominable. And He even gives an example. He says... For they even burn their sons and daughters in fires to their God. Wow. They even sacrifice their sons and daughters in the fire to their God. What an abominable act. And if you're not careful, you'll begin to follow some of those things that you never thought you would follow. And you'll be doing things you never thought you would do. And that's a real warning. That's a real warning. So God is saying again, first commandment, have no other gods before Me. Second commandment, you worship Me as I direct. As I tell you. And things will be well. Things will be good. Well, may God help us so that we worship God aright. May may God help us to, to remember God's goodness and care for us and all that He provides for us so that we might worship Him with delight and joy. Remember that He is a God who can be approached. He's a God who provides a way to forgive sin. Maybe you're here this morning And you don't know that forgiveness. You're still in your sin. You don't know what it is to be right with God. You can't approach God. You're still dressed in the garment you were dressed in when you were born, which is the garment of sin. How can you approach God unless you approach Him through another, through a substitute? No longer is that substitute an animal, a lamb, or an ox, or a goat. Now, that substitute is the Lord Jesus Christ. Trusting in Him. May we be reminded that He says you're to worship Me only. He's exclusive. Someone may say, your God isn't very tolerant. May I say this? You're right. Good theology. God isn't tolerant. He will want you to worship Him and Him only and He will want you to worship Him as He directs. And so may God help us to apply those principles that our worship would continually be pleasing in His sight. Let's pray together. Father, we do give You thanks for the direction Your Word gives us, for the principles that are laid out. We thank You that we are reminded as to who You are. We're thankful that You've provided that ultimate sacrifice in Your Son, Who doesn't go yearly, monthly, but He did it once for all. Gave His life a ransom for many. And Father, we pray that as the people of God, our hearts would be be overflowing with just a desire to give You the praise that is Your due. That we would be a people who all that we are reacts to all that You are in our worship. So give us fresh glimpses of who You are. That our worship would not be dull and lifeless, but that our worship would be lively, enthusiastic, filled with joy and thanksgiving for all that You have done. So hear our cries as we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. On closing, let's take our hymn books turning to number 13. Number 13, O oh, worship the King, all glorious above. O oh, gratefully sing His power and His love. Number 13, Trinity Hymn Book. Let's stand together as we sing.